Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordics tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm Alex Robinson from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Anna's Reinhardt, Senior Director of Data and Integration Solutions at Colaplast, Marcel Schrode, Manager of Data and AI at EY, and Ravindra Kavdey, Head of Data and Analytics at the Shipping Collective. To discuss generative AI, shaping tomorrow's world with today's data. Before we delve any into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. So, Anis, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Anders Reinhardt. I'm uh, responsible for the data and integration platform at Kodoplast. So I work uh, every day with data, and I think one of the biggest passions I have at the moment is trying to figure out how we can run our AI agenda and strategy in a good and structured manner. Uh, so that takes up a lot of my time aside from all the ordinary uh, data and integration work that we do. Great. Thank you very much for that, Anna. So over to you, Marcel. Yeah, thanks for, for hosting. Um, very much looking forward to your talk as well. Um, I'm a manager in um, EY's data analytics consulting team, so to say, and within also part of the AI leadership team, um, where I was also part of growing the team itself. And my background is fairly broad um, in the data analytics sphere from data platforms towards AI. Um, but my core focus these days is um, AI and AI is very broad. So what does that mean? Like helping clients, but also internally in the in the um, company itself to break down the strategy into something more tangible. That could be um, architecture setup. It could be developing solutions um, for like, um, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for that, Marcel. Now handing over to you, Ravindra. Thank you so much. It is so good to be on the podcast. Uh, my name is Ravindra Kavde, and um, uh, you, people call me Ravi as well, to be short. Uh, that helps everybody. Uh, and then um, I'm heading uh, the data and analytics for the Shipping Collective. We are mainly into uh, consulting uh, business, so consulting mainly the shipping companies and also in digitalization. So basically uh, anything to do with software development, uh, integrations, uh, uh, and even moving on to different platforms, um, anything and everything uh, related to, to digitalization. And um, we are also developing SaaS products for the shipping industry. Um, and that is currently the main focus area for us. And uh, we are also planning to integrate or in, have AI-based uh, solutions. So that is the most interesting thing that we are into right now. Thank you very much for that, Ravi. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now we've established a bit of context to each of you, I'd like to move on to the topic in focus. So you've all prepared a question or a statement on generative AI shaping tomorrow's world with today's data. Um, so as usual, I'm just going to work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on everyone else's situation. And um, we'll kick off with you, Anas. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think some of the questions that pops to mind in my head, at least uh, when it's relatively early days with our agenda for AI, is of course, how do you structure around this in a good way when you are a relatively small team? Uh, so when you're at the start of any journey, you don't necessarily have a very strong muscle to, uh, to kind of execute on a lot. And we are focusing a lot on the adoption and use case gathering 
Um, but I'm still struggling with how do we do this? We are a company of almost 16,000 employees. And if I send a mail out to everybody saying, come along with your good ideas, that will be uh, pretty chaotic, I think. Uh, so I'm still struggling with, you know, how do you organize in a good way around this? Uh, if you don't have too many resources, but you still really want to try to do something and inspire people. So I hope that some of the people in the room maybe have some good ideas for that or something they've seen work elsewhere. Okay. Marcel, do you want to kick us off with that one? Um, I think it's it's a very good and relevant uh, question. Uh, what I saw working quite well is um, building a cross-functional expert team or task force around uh, generative AI. Um, it yeah, works quite well in the current state. Um, this expert team should naturally have like uh, technology experts, um, understanding generative AI, but also people from business development, risk departments, legal departments, um, which makes it important for evaluating Gen AI um, from like all various angles. Um, it's, it's also an important effort uh, to teach the organization of how to actually look at generative AI and go about it make everybody understand to a level which is needed for them. Um, I would also say that it actually applies for companies, um, no matter if they want to, to start or not with generative AI, since uh, the implications will be anyways there, even if we consume, for example, from ready-made solutions like third parties, um, hinting there also a bit to the upcoming legislation, such as the, the EU AI Act, um, where organizations anyways need to get a better grasp of their AI initiatives um, in the organization. Then um, actually getting started with developing generic solutions, I would say still follows um, the, the normal processes of product development. So no matter if we look at generative AI or solutions um, which uh, which don't use generative AI, um, AI there should always be um, the user customer or um, end user in, in focus. <clears throat> um, we, 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 we need to make sure to identify the challenge um, they're having and then see what, what uh, it solves best, basically. It could be a simple dashboard, AI, Gen AI, or something completely different. Um, when you then get more into selecting the right um, ideas, you should have, again, a cross-functional team evaluating your idea or use case based on um, the customer value is very important, business value, of course, uh, technical feasibility. Um, and is it within your span of risk appetite? Because that could also be very different um, from organization to organization. Um, for the first case, it should uh, it, it, it is very important to see that it's um, potentially also a message for the entire organization. Um, if one shows value there, it's easier to get the buy-in also for future solutions. And also mentioning again that it's very important that organizational learning part also in this step in a way. Um, developing then the actual solution can be as simple as just uh, using APIs. I mean, we have all seen it also with ChatGPT, um, yeah, Microsoft OpenAI. You get those APIs where you can use it out of the box. And then with prompt engineering or chaining prompts, fine tuning models, et cetera, you can actually quite fast and easy get to solutions. I think the harder part is then to have the expert who understand the implications, um, the limitations and the legal constraints, um, as well as finding um, solutions how we can actually properly evaluate responses from generative ai systems um, on scale i think this will be a major major challenge but that will be to come as well um, often it can also be that you start with for example um, llms large large language models uh, as an example of text uh, to quickly test an hypothesis around solving a challenge and then what you, what we for example also often do i do in my work is incredibly working down down to like way smaller large language models um, or smaller models in itself and even apply maybe even simpler uh, natural language processing approaches what what is also very much emerging is uh, or what I see a lot is uh, AI center of excellence is taking on the task of generative AI like a technical piece of it at least um, and when we when we talk around scaling itself that will anyways become a question um, where it becomes more prominent to talk about how you place your teams right will it be decentralized will it be centralized more like as the center of excellence a hub and spoke model um and yeah but there's a lot of stuff happening in the space of generative ai and um, there will also be a lot of learnings in terms of 
um, how we operationalize it uh, further, like with ML or NDI, we had ML ops. Now we are looking more into large language model ops, LLM ops. Uh, so there's still a long way to go, but I think this is a, a good way to start at least. 100%. And what's your take on this, Ravi? Um, well, I completely agree with what Marcel has said. So uh, just to add on to what Marcel is saying uh, in practical terms, uh, it's mainly going with the with the business, right? So I would put the business first, wherein you need to understand what are your business requirements. Um, of course, you also will have a, a digital uh, plan or roadmap uh, for the company, which I hope is already in place. Uh, you can pick up any of these initiatives to start off because that gives you a, a very good foundation based on that this is where our company needs to go. And uh, you can take that as a foundation and start looking for opportunities within that digital roadmap. Uh, of course, as Marcel also mentioned, you need to involve the business um, and understand what their requirements are because not every time AI is the solution. Uh, so it it re it really helps to get the business involved, and wherever it is necessary, I would I would then get involved in the AI part of it. The other important thing I would mention is once you understand what is the area that you want to focus on, you first need to identify if you have the right data in place, because without the data, the AI doesn't work. Uh, the engine. Uh, is or you can build the engine, but there is no fuel in the engine if you don't have the data. Uh, so once you analyze the data and you are very sure about the data is intact and and uh, is transformed in the way you want to use it, uh, then that would be a good way to start after this analysis. Of course, there will be some time gone into this analysis, uh, quite a significant amount of time, but I think you have a small team and you can start looking into that with this, with your small team to start off. Very interesting insights there, Ravi. So what do you think, Hannes? What, what would be your response to your own question? No, I think uh, I agree. And I think we, we, we have a lot of the similar ideas. I think uh, I also view this as primarily a journey. Uh, that we as a company need to embark on. So we are pretty strong in uh, traditional, uh, you could say, process improvement. We are pretty strong in uh, traditional reporting. So we also have a lot of knowledge about our data. I think what we are missing is a common language as to what can AI actually do for you. And, and today there are some options uh, with um, natural language models and new inventions that makes it a lot more accessible. And I think we need to learn as a company to spot those opportunities. Uh, so it is about getting some inspiration out there as well. So we are focusing a lot on adoption. Uh, and uh, But I really like the idea also about what about the existing portfolio and roadmaps. So we have many projects planned and now we kind of get overtaken by new technology. So is that applicable to some of these projects? We should think it in uh, because you can always go out and pitch 100 new ideas, but uh, we also have all the ordinary work we need to do. So maybe it's also about trying to bring it in uh, to the things we have already planned as a company that we are going to do and rethink that a little bit. Um, so I totally agree with that. And, and, and we have actually also said that we are distinguishing between adopt, what can we relatively easily adopt, what can we relatively easily configure, and then you have the last option, uh, what can we build? And unfortunately, when you venture into that, not a lot has changed over the years, so it's still really cumbersome to build and maintain your own machine learning models, etc. Uh, so you have to have a much better business case to fund going in that direction. So I think I agree on all those points. I also have a reflection that uh, I, I think some somewhere down the road, we have optimized our business so much that we ha haven't had the traditional need for these process optimization people that were so popular uh, back in the 80s uh, when everybody was talking about lean. Yeah. But you actually really need those people now when you have to think automation and AI into all of your processes. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's maybe not a skill set 
that we necessarily have in our data team uh, as well. Uh, but, but I think if we had to go back to these uh, old school brown paper exercises of saying, how does our process look like and where can we pluck these different types of components in? I think that is maybe maybe that kind of role will get a little bit of a renaissance with, uh, with this new agenda. So I totally agree. I think it was really, really good input uh, as to how you can actually try to get started. Okay, great. So anyone else have anything to add there before we move on to the next question? No? Okay, I, I feel that's a nice segue into um, your question, actually, Marcel. So do you want to hit us with yours next? Sure. Um, what we what we also saw, like, you now with the development of ChatGPT and everything coming afterwards, um, was a huge start of, like, you know, um, or a huge development in the startup scene, um, creating new products and with generative AI, not speaking just about text, right, but also video, photos, um, everything around sound itself, and it's, it, it's exploding, right? Like, you can basically each month uh, spend hours and hours to update yourself. It's a never-ending story, which leads also to a question which we ask ourselves in tech, I think, uh, very often. Um, do we build it ourselves or do we buy um, in the end? And I think we hear that question also very often um, at Lineside, for example, because it is such a new and fast moving sphere. Um, so what would be your your take on that, um, Anna Sardrina? Okay, so um, Ravi, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, yeah, I can go ahead first. Um, well, uh, it's currently, I would say it is easy to to just buy it from the market because there are quite a few uh, companies who have quite advanced features or basically what we call in, in AI is basically the model where they, you can actually um, uh, use that model uh, from them. And then what you just need to supply is the data that you that you want to learn or, or want the machine to learn, right? Uh, and with that, you save quite a bit on on building it yourself uh, to be to start off and um, of course you can always go on to building it yourself once you have a, a business case uh, and you know that it is working for you so i would say it it really depends but i would go in for build, buying first whatever is there in the market trying my data first and then going into the building uh, aspect of that. Of course, uh, the change management is also a big part uh, into it, uh, but that is that is applicable for both, right? Uh, whether you, you build it or you buy it, the change management is a separate uh, topic in itself. Uh, so you need to create the awareness, desire, knowledge, uh, and all those different uh, ATCA things for the change management. Uh, in it yeah i actually agree and and i think you know we've been we've had some talks about this internally and i think it would be a very dangerous route if we started to try to fix uh, problems that are generated by existing uh, applications and vendors that we have in play so if we let, let's for instance say you have a, a document management system with a poor search functionality why would i want to fix that on behalf of the vendor uh, I wouldn't. So, so one of our key activities uh, will be to go through all of our main application areas to understand how are these vendors going to embed AI into their solutions so we avoid this uh, building what is coming in two months. Uh, but I think what you should be very wary about is also there's also maybe a choice about do we always just pick best of breed or do we need to in order to control the AI sprawl, do we then need to sometimes accept that we uh, use something that's a bit more generic? Uh, we, we recently had a discussion about translations, which is a great case. You know, if, if you send things out of the house to get translated, why not uh, stop that and try to get as far as you can with that? But of course, depending on what it is you want to translate, you might have one vendor that is very good at translating something technical, another vendor that's very good at translating something else. And, and if you go for best of breed, you'll suddenly have a hundred translation, in, in, translation engines you are subscribing to. 
that will probably not be very efficient in the long run. So there are some choices that you need to make. You can't just say, let's just buy. You also have to say, what is it we are buying and make some choices there uh, in order not to get an, an enormously complex, complex landscape. But I think there are so many opportunities and lucky, luckily enough for some of the products, the buy price is not so high. It is, we are not talking about prices uh, like buying a new ERP system, and, uh, which makes it very difficult to make the business case. But you also have other examples. And I think if you look at the Microsoft co-pilots, the pricing is actually pretty steep uh, on something that is naturally embedded into uh, the heart of the office products. And that suddenly generates an enormous discussion about how can we make the business case for this Although I think everybody would agree that it, it does some really cool things, for instance. So, so I think we'll see a mix of uh, a lot of interesting <laughs> cases on the market where uh, sometimes the buy is a very easy decision and other times, uh, you know, the buy might be a, a very challenging decision to actually make, right? Back over to you, Marcel. What do you think? It makes very much sense. And I mean, it's also hard to answer, right, without specific um, uh, cases because always based on the use case. Um, itself, but very similar to to us. What we see, like on a on a personal note as well, um, what what I observed um, also inside our own teams, um, but also out out the client sites, is when you build yourself. And I'm not saying large scale because in the end, it's just an API. If you want to go very lean, right, um, and then you make calls and do maybe even chaining with some sort of pet. Yeah, packages like Langchain, et cetera, et cetera, um, to create a bit more complex solutions. But um, it is not like entire software development in the beginning, right? But what it does is it enables your, first of all, your tech team to understand the technology a bit better. Um, and it also will eventually spill over to the business itself. So once you get a better understanding of, of the technology itself, you can also advocate it um, a bit more. So. That's just the only risk, of course, when when there's just buying um, that you don't build it internally. That um, that knowledge itself, which is, I think, very important to to various degrees, um, depending on the strategy of the company um, itself. For us, it is super important. So. Um, we we also endorse people to actually just try it out. It doesn't need to be a solution which is straight away integrated, but it's a it's a great way for learning. Um, and then also the word will spread, right? Um, like they will talk with other developers about it. How how do we optimize X Y Z? Even though we might at one point scrap the POC or something which we have developed with um, a solution which is embedded, right? And I think the like in in existing systems, um, I think the best example is. Uh, Microsoft, for example, right now, right? Um, like in the beginning, we just started about like talking about prompting, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there you could do really cool stuff already, but of course it was limited. Um, now we start talking all of a sudden about uh, rec retrieval augmented generation, where you can basically chat with your data in easy terms. Um, that of course can be generated by, um, or, or created by yourself, but in the end it will of course also eventually integrate it in other systems let's say in the entire Microsoft suite, what we see right now, being based on um, knowledge graphs or like what, whatever data you want to include um, in, in, in your solution itself, but it still gives you the advantage to, to think better about the technology itself. So of course, it's always like a case by case um, situation, what you do, um, build or buy, but I still think it's um, very important to build those capabilities internally. To a certain degree, I agree. And, uh, I, I totally agree, and I, and I think uh, you know our strategy is also centered around we need to get. I, I like the distinction in an enterprise company that you say this. We can offer something that can help you with your personal productivity, but as soon as it becomes departmental efficiency, you need to consider whether you need to at least configure, or we then need to switch to build or something that's a bit more internalized in order to make sure that our bespoke process actually runs really efficiently. Uh, and, and, but I think if you, don't, if you can't do the personal productivity, then you can't give people a feeling of what is this about? How can we work with this? 
So I, I think we will also really try to encourage that we buy a minimum of services so we can get it out there and live. And then, of course, when something becomes much bigger, we have to manage, let's say, 200,000 technical drawings, then you need to think it through. Then it's not a matter of uh, offering a standard service. Then you need to look at how can we do that in the best possible way. Uh, but, but, but I think you need to start somewhere. And if you don't get the technology out, then as you're saying, Marcel, I'm sure you'll also miss out on the good ideas. And it is the person who's sitting with the process that needs to come up with the idea. I don't believe in this, uh, you know, Oh, we have a great competency center and then they can run around and analyze all processes in our company that that is just an enormous task. So it has to somehow be generated more naturally. And I think we have all that natural generation for normal IT services that we've lived with for many years. But because this can do really amazing stuff that none of us can imagine. Uh, we need something else. We need some kind of inspiration and we need some kind of language for this. And, 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 I, and I think by offering something a little bit more generic for everybody that they can play with, you, you can hopefully establish that language uh, much better. Yeah, and, and, and it also depends upon, um, because data is the new asset, right? Uh, so what you can really... Uh, put it on on the table when you buy services from outside or with, whether it is not even a, an option for you because your data is so sensitive that you cannot even think about it. That's also one of the other factors. Um, and, and plus now with all these different regulations coming in, it's also kind of very difficult for these firms, right, who are selling these different AI uh, machinery, I would say, to to really put a put a fence around it and and sell it in in a nice way so um it it all depends upon how these new regulations pan out and all these different things and i think uh, it will be a mix as you rightly say a builder versus buy so yeah 100 anything else to add there guys yeah i would say i think i totally agree i think what is important for me in our company is that we should do our utmost to make sure that people feel safe using these tools. And that is not possible to determine for an ordinary employee. Uh, and it's also really difficult for an expert, I can tell you, uh, to figure out where is the data going? Is this a good idea or not? So I think you also, uh, Ravi, mentioned this about connect with legal. Make sure we are compliant from day one. Set some boundaries also for data ethics around this. What is it we are willing to do as a company and what are we not willing to touch from a risk perspective or else? I think that's at least one of my goals uh, to make sure we have some statements around this from day one. So, so our users feel that they can navigate in this uh, circus because it is extremely tempting to upload something and try something out. And, and I think nobody does anything out of uh, uh, an evil intent. Uh, but there's also a big interest. So if you're not delivering something or playground, uh, then of course uh, uh, our employees would be tempted to go elsewhere to try something out. Uh, so I think it is a matter of making it, you could say, compliant by design to the first, furthest extent we can. And that's why I also think we will have a build component, but it will might not have to be a very heavy build component. The problem is if it's real old fashioned machine learning, the build is heavy, and 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 I think some people are forgetting that that there are some new tools out there that have made life easy, but but there are also some AI disciplines out there that are just as cumbersome as they were yesterday and ten years ago. Uh, they have not really changed, um, but uh, just just as long as you bear that in mind, I think you are in a good place. Definitely, I also think like the the, the learning parts or like the other. Um, the organizational change management part, so to say, what we also heard now, I think quite a few times in each of the answers, because this is barely one of the key things which you need to um, do in the company, like explaining how does the system, and I say now system for whatever comes out of that um, AI solution, right? 
um, actually affect people's lives and how do they interpret it and use the results um, itself? How can you make sure that everybody knows, as you said, Anas, as well, um, what is the safe usage of it? Because it's not everybody working in technology like we are, right? Um, and we might be in the in the very early stage, you know, when ChatGPT came out, utilizing it already uh, for tasks where we can actually use it, right, with um, our our own kind of ideas, not like uh, uh, PII data, like privacy, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, like like PII data itself. And um, I think it's it's very important that we bring the message to organizations itself of how to use the tool itself. I mean, one example could be actually ChatGPT in itself, right? As a as a bare chatbot, um, as a normal solution itself, right? Um, you have you have Google on the other side, right? When Google came up, it was also revolutionary. But you had to teach people also in organizations that you don't put um, your your own company secrets in there, right? Like no nobody, I hope at least, um, will upload company secrets to Google because we all kind of know it got common sense what happens to that data or what could potentially happen to that data. And this is the same what we need to do similar with those AI solutions, right? If they are safe, then fair enough, but then we need to say it. But um, if we would, for example, endorse um, or say that you can also use out-of-the-box solutions which are out there, not in the organizational um, environment, we would still need to create that effort in change management and telling them what is safe to do and what is not safe to do. Um, and this is, I think, an increasing important point because a lot, a lot of organizations are not keeping up with that because you can't you you can't kind of um, stop people's private lives and what they do there. So if they know about ChatGPT and what it can do, but they don't know about the risks and what I'm allowed to use it for, then um, yeah, things happen what we have all seen in the news. Hundred percent. So anything to add on that, guys? Before we move on to the next question. Okay, great. So it's your turn, Ravi. Do you want to tell us, pose your question to the panel, and tell us a little bit about where it came from? Yeah, it actually comes down from uh, from the previous question itself. Um, uh, it would be really interesting to know how you're taking care of uh, your data, basically, uh, with regards to the data quality, uh, with regards to what can go, uh, what you can share uh, with with AI, uh, the buy solutions, what you cannot. And uh, with with the new regulations also coming into picture, the EU regulation or what uh, uh, America is trying to do with these regulations on AI. Um, how are you planning to carve your data out so that you can use these different AI solutions? Okay, Marcel, do you want to take the lead on this one? Sure. Um, when it when it comes to data itself, I mean, um, there, there are different ways to look at it, right? Like from a privacy quality as etc cetera, etc cetera, um, angles in itself when it comes to privacy itself as you said with the new ai revolution right it's we we keep basically um our 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 uh, tips on the toes like we keep basically updated um with what is happening there because it will not just inform us internally but also what we will uh, preach to clients itself right um and we can't completely for foresee what will happen based just basically the, the draft of the EUAI Act, for example, or when it comes to America, right? How they will embed it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's very, it's very important to keep the, the local regulations also in, in mind. Um, because like depending on like company structure itself, like we are we are a global firm. So we also need to look at like what kind of services can we actually use. Um, and where do we need to store the data? And there's maybe a difference if we look at the American market than the European market, or even like um, Germany between Denmark, um, for one example itself. So it's definitely like looking into what data you are actually using, because in the end that comes back to like creating your own solution potentially as well. If if you know that you can't store it publicly or like not, not store it publicly, but send the data through a more public API, then you would need to store it somewhere in your environment or at least in the in the area if you look um, if you look at cloud right for example in the region or the area where you're operating in and, and which is basically by the company itself um safeguarded so to say that you're allowed to use it there and then on top of that um come 
comes then basically the whole regulation of what data itself can be stored, right? With like privacy, like uh, privacy protected data um, itself, names, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this always needs to needs to come into play. And um, what what we do in several locations as well is like, of course, if it comes to to um, PII data itself, then you would um, usually either exclude it if you would look at um, sending something to an API um, or you kind of mask it if, if you need data for um, for training an algorithm itself, right? You can also create, for example, synthetic data. So it really, really depends um, on where you're operating and for what you're using it um, and what the content of the data itself is. And it's just good to have an overview and, and classify the data itself. And I think there could be already um, a data catalog very helpful right also for the entire organization that you that you know what data you're having where it is stored and what quality it is in um if it's not there then you need to curate it in a way um, and then you also create that organizational learning about like what data is classified what not what may i use what may i not use i i think for us at least it's uh you could say we already have some perspectives on the normal data privacy regulation that are getting more mature, but it's also chaotic in the sense that there's a lot of local legislation that you need to live up to. And that's not making anybody's life easier, and it's not bringing the planet together. It's driving the planet apart from a data perspective, to be honest. And, and of course, there's a more political motivation in my view, behind some of this regulation, then you can claim there is a, a protecting the individual, to be honest, <laughs> when you look at the, the wordings of some of it. But we already have that. So I think it is about continuing that approach and making sure that we suddenly don't store data in a place where we don't want to store it. I think my perception is at the moment that there are some uh, signs out there about potential regulation of the use of AI that has not matured into specific law text yet, but there are some suggestions. And, and this is just my uh, subjective uh, uh, interpretation, and I'm not a lawyer. But when I look at it, it looks even more strict uh, than the privacy regulation. And it looks even more complicated to manage. But it's difficult to relate to when it's not really in place yet. But what I take away from that is, I think if you use a service, you have to be careful for what purpose you use that service, uh, if it's AI, and that is also part of our consent uh, policies and management today, that uh, we are not allowed to use personal data for just anything. So don't think there's something new there. But what might be new is that you need to be able to document what algorithms you're using. And if you, it's not your algorithm and you haven't developed it and you have no access to any source code or anything else, that might become tricky going forward. So I think what I take away is if we decide to build anything ourselves, we should do it in a regulated way internally in our company so that we have full transparency on who's building what, applying what algorithms on what. Uh, you naturally have an overview when you buy something because it goes through a process, a buying process and a documentation process. So, so I'm also I'm worried, I have to say, that we take some choices now that we have to undo later because we will start getting hit by specific legislation and it won't be EU specific necessarily. It might be country specific also. Um, so I think there are some things there we can piggyback right on. What's maybe new is the risk discussion of how far are we willing to take AI? Uh, so, um, you know, uh, a, a robot can answer questions, but it can also provide a wrong answer. So what, what if that happens? Will that incur a risk on our company that we are willing to take? Uh, or not. And I think that's maybe a new dimension to some of these discussions that we need to say. I mean, if we make a mistake or a wrong answer is provided internally, maybe it is not a disaster. But if somebody is providing a wrong answer uh, to one of our uh, customers and patients, that, that has a whole nother element to it. And are we willing to run that risk? 
uh, because the problem is I hear a lot in the market about no, but then you can just uh, have a robot that's uh, a guiding tool for for the customer service. But the problem is people are lazy. So if the guiding tool answers uh, correctly three times, will you then have an you know? Uh, Will you then be uh, skeptical on answer number four? Probably not. So over time, you might start trusting the machine more and more. Uh, we have to understand that there are these dynamics with the humans when they are interacting with these helping tools. So I think there are many elements to it. But for me, it is about saying all the good work we've done around data privacy in the past should not be forgotten. It is even more important now. And then we know that there are some regulation coming that is not so specific yet we need to monitor that extremely closely and then we we need a risk discussion when we venture into this especially if it is customer facing or external or we include ai in some very important processes where the machine can really affect uh, the downstream uh, uh, systems or processes uh, if it makes a wrong decision those things we need to be aware of as I see it. But there's a lot of it that's business as usual as I still see it. So, you know, it's easy to dream up all these horrible scenarios, but I think most uh, large corporations have actually worked a lot with where are we using data, where are we not? But if you are just buying, not checking, don't ask the right questions, then I think it's a dangerous game to start playing, to be honest, uh, because there are providers out there that do not want to disclose where they are hosting your data, where their servers are located. And then you can't sign a data processing agreement with such a company. It is simply not possible. Uh, so, so I think uh, that is also important. You mentioned it, Marcel. There are so many startups now that are trying to use this technology, offering a service and so on. Uh, so there's uh, a plethora of uh, exciting products out there but we need to be compliant and secure by design. That is uh, super important, I think. And um, actually, one one point um, that were, uh, like it, it just uh, came to my mind as well. Uh, one example from actually um, one client I've been as well at, and then observed it also continuously, is is again like I think it's really good also what you said, like the preparation for an. EU AI Act or whatever act it will be on which level, right? It could also be the Denmark specific, right? It could be a, a wider one, et cetera, is super important um, to follow and monitor. And again, across functions itself. And here mainly, I mean, of course, technology itself, because we will kind of develop and bring it out, right? Or maybe buy it, then it would be more like on the buyer side in the company, right? In the purchasing department. But um, what I constantly see, and this comes to technology and data, back to your your um, original question, Ravi, is knowledge within the data protection office and information security office. It's around data. Um, I think they have gained now a fairly good understanding, right? Also with with the GDPR regulation, et cetera, et cetera, right? Of course, bolstered that effort of like what can be done with data, where there's privacy um, included or not, or, or, or private aspects itself. But now we start an entire new world of, of technology for to grasp as well, because it's really hard. And this is also what a lot of critics said about the, um, the initial drafts of the EU AI Act, right? For example, or other acts is, um, we need to enable policymakers, but also like uh, the legal parts and companies to understand the technology that they know what happens with the data itself. And it doesn't really, like even, even I could be the best uh, person explaining it, for example, if they don't understand it, it will be misinterpreted or it will be shut down in the end. Um, so there needs to be a huge effort on the um, on that side, on the legal department, so to say, right? And the data protection office to, to understand um, what happens with that data. And there's, for example, one, one war story, so to say, where um, when when the concept of AI in itself and then also large language models, right? The whole generative AI piece, when we look at text with large language models, is not understood. Then you might think that just using an API um, means that you actually feed the data to train the model, but that's not the case, right? 
like very simple concepts like that of like when actually data becomes part of an algorithm and when it doesn't. And then at one point also what data is allowed to become part of an algorithm, right? And um, there as a very last one, sorry for the long monologue, um, there's also a lot of good work coming out, but there needs to be much more on the research um, area where you compare actually large language models um, on the text side, right? But it could also be for asset, video, image, voice, etc., to assess them, not just based on the accuracy, right? Um, like how good they are or not, but also what data was actually fed in there. We had the discussion very often in, in terms of chat GPT, etc., right? Like we didn't really know what the scope of it is and you will not be able to drill it down to each document um, right but you should have a broad set and understanding of what domains and what text it was based on and um, maybe there was data from um, online um, like like for example um, x formerly twitter right or whatsoever which you don't want to have part in that right or you want to create a german language specific solution with really good like german capabilities but then you apply, for example, models which were just trained on 0.01% German, right? Which might still work somehow, but the quality of the result will not be as good as others, for example, right? So there are so many different aspects. No, super relevant, a, guys. Yeah. yeah. I Go think ahead. it's a really good point. And I think it also speaks into that this technology has managed to take something that is insanely complicated and make it look very easy. But it it doesn't remove the complexity. So, so you know, it's great that we can do something like that, but it's still complex. And if you don't understand the complexity, it's also difficult to make the right decisions, right? And there is all of that complexity is still there. I think it speaks a lot into where are you placing the responsibility for some of these decisions? It needs to be with a group of people who understands what a model does, why, Otherwise, it becomes very difficult to make the right decisions and you need to be able to explain it as you're saying, Marcel, because I've had exactly the question you mentioned. Yeah, but then the model will become more wise as it starts working with our data. No, uh, it will not. It's pre-trained. Uh, so it is uh, trained to work with data and it will do its work on your data, you could say, but it won't be any wiser. Uh, unless the whole model is retained on another data set. But guess what? It won't be your data necessarily. So again, I think it is about remembering also to explain some of these things, although it's difficult also to do the explanation. But I think it is important that we try to raise the awareness and understanding of what is behind some of these services. Because uh, I think most of our business users, they're just looking at the service saying, yeah, but I don't care. I just need something translated. Yes, but what if you picked a vendor that is good at translating technical uh, descriptions and not necessarily marketing text or whatever, right? So the devil is a bit in the details. So I, it is back to my one of my original statements that it, it seems like it's a bit of a language that we need to teach ourselves and the business. How how can we efficiently work with this, and what is this actually about? No, no, super relevant, guys. It it really helps. Uh, so what I have taken down is basically what you started with, Marcel. The data cataloging. It it's very important now with this new technology that is coming in, because we need to know what data we can really use for algorithms, which we cannot, which are data privacy and all these legal aspects of the data. And then we also need to ensure what we should know what the algorithm is trying to do. So we cannot just have a black box out there. It has to be augmented uh, AI uh, with a person being in charge of what is happening and uh, understanding the results. And and that is that is so important now because once it, the data is crunched into an algorithm, we don't know where and how it will be used. Uh, going forward with this new technology or with this new um, models that are being built using the same data and the machine learning from these this same data right so even a simple gdpr kind of a kind of a data might 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 be or just to protect that part of aspect of the data is also going to be really complicated because once you feed that data in you don't know where it goes and when it will be used and to take it out, really difficult, but they yeah, are super relevant points. Um, want to keep the legal 
people also in in it because these are the guys who know exactly what is hap what has been written in these different fine documents of uh, of um, the the government decisions that are being passed and stuff like that. So thank you so much. One uh, one one question from my side: How would you how would you see the development in the next like three, four, five uh, years? Because I mean, it is kind of tying also in, into one of the topics which we had. What what we see right now is like that whole experimenting part where where people just get thrown at like with easy technology in a way, right? Um, developing stuff fast, and you don't need to be a data scientist. It's a um, so very simple, cumbersome tasks in the beginning will get tackled with that. Like customer support, I think is one of the one of the um, best applications because there's so much unstructured data, right? If you look at um, at a at a company itself, where you can make sense of all of a sudden. Um, but I also feel like we are already at the phase of going more towards, let's say, industrialization area, right? Where we kind of start thinking about that. Um, integration into existing software solutions or so integration into own solution which we are having um, right so where we can then achieve more complex things than just like having a chatbot or reviewing one document but it's more like a chaining kind of piece um, but some really cool things I also saw is then like what we actually can do in the future right um, um, at one at one client we talked about hyper personalization away and we looked into like what what can be potentially done, right? And if you think about the web like like a website today, let's say Coloplus um, website, right? And um, I as a user, I will log on with my logon um, metadata itself. It could be through cookies if allowed, right? Or if I'm logged in, I can actually adjust or hyper personalize and live render. Um, the website itself, like we've done a, a POC on it and it works, right? Like if I then say I'm 27 from Australia and whatsoever, right? It will change the content life towards, hey mate, you know, like what is just more like as a, as a far, far fetched thing, but there will be so much hyper personalization, I think, like uh, also in terms of marketing, of course, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's not an easy question. I think if you look right. at the uh, you know what will happen in our private lives. I think uh, they um, they came out uh, with some pretty steep regulation in Germany. And I asked, uh, so when we do consent in Germany, how many have opted out completely? Forty uh, percent. So I, I I also feel that uh, there's a movement now of people saying we don't want this data in the hands of anybody. This is my data. Uh, I don't want any ads or commercials, to be honest. So, so I think there will be uh, there will be a trend going the other way. I know our kids, you know, they they are so stupid. They they don't they just opt in on everything and uh, until something horrible happens and their accounts are emptied and and uh, all their money in Somalia or something, then then they will probably learn. Um, but I think they, they, I think we will start to see a protest against some of it. W what I think will happen in large companies is that we'll buy all this crap and it'll be really, really expensive. Mm. So we'll buy a million services because it's on the hype cycle and we believe we can get a lot of efficiency and we probably can. But the problem is once you have harvested all that efficiency, what is left? All the fucking cost. So, so I'm pretty sure IT cost is gonna skyrocket. And then when the McKinsey consultants comes in in two years, everybody has forgotten about how inefficient customer service was. That has been harvested, uh, but what is left is still all the cost to run your company that is now ten times bigger because you need AI for everything, uh, every single thing. And and we can see that the companies offering this are now trying to really, really earn a buck on it. And maybe also pricing it far above uh, what is actually worth. And I think there'll be a reaction to that at some point where, where somebody will say, hey, we need to streamline that whole landscape because this is simply not from a cost perspective, very efficient. And, and that is my main concern because I ideally, you know, I feel I should make long lasting efficient decisions for Coloplast, but navigating in this enormous landscape is almost impossible, right? So I know that some of the choices I make are going to look idiotic in half a year. But what I don't want, of course, is 250 buy solutions for the same thing or similar things. Because I think if I go down that route, 
then uh, I will be the next victim of a McKinsey exercise uh, for sure. Uh, so I think it's it's it is keeping your logical sense uh, with you as you progress down this route because it, it it is very easy to be tempted to just buy 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 and publish stories on your internet about how great everything is and you know. Uh, our legal department also said, can you help us with the translations? Yes, I can, but it's a five-man team I'm doing something for. And yes, there's some cost avoidance, but once you have avoided that cost, nobody can remember that you used to pay 300,000 for licenses. Then I know our CFO is going to go through the license list and say, what is that? Oh, that's a translation tool, but now we have 50 of those. Uh, please make sure uh, we save some money on doing something with that. Uh, so and 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 I think and it is a little bit back to the same. If you do a distributed data science setup with 150 systems and data is everywhere, and regulation then suddenly says no, no, you need to be able to document everything. Then you need to redo the whole setup. Uh, so so I think there are some choices we can make now that are logical, maybe a bit conservative, but without killing all in the innovation. Uh, so 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 I and I think that's at least going to be my approach that that I, I don't want a big cleanup task in, in two years when the hype is gone and this has become everyday life. But I think some of these features will be so embedded into the products that we will never be able to live without them and we will not be able to imagine a world without it, uh, similar to uh, the iPhone when that came out. And you know who, who wants to go back to a BlackBerry today it, 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 you know, nobody wants that, right? So, uh, so, so I think I think the world will change with this. It, it is already changing, I think. And my take is basically very simple, and uh, it it is going to be very fast development. To be very honest, in the next three to five years, so it is not going to be a slow moving, so paced, slow placed, slow paced. Uh, development uh, it is going to be quite fast than what we've ever imagined um i somehow feel that uh, uh, like you mentioned anas uh, is that uh, knowledge will be the key at some point of time right so basically even though these large uh, llms or large language models are in place and doing a lot of the job uh, we still need to retain some of that knowledge within the companies uh, and within the firms uh, that is that is something that the companies should always try and do uh, because you never know uh, when this knowledge will be needed because now everything is run on a chatbot nobody knows what's happening and suddenly you find yourself uh, if some regulation comes in and you're gone uh, and then you need to have people talking to people and then it's it's a, a big cost for you uh, so yeah means i would say that it will be really fast and it will be difficult to retain that knowledge and people and companies will find it really difficult in this short term to retain that knowledge within the people um, I don't know how how things will be in the future, to be very honest. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think one of my favorite examples is uh, Microsoft's uh, pushy sales team that said, yeah, but, but now you can do a transcript when you've had a meeting, a meaning the ones who can't participate just gets the transcript. But it will also transcribe if you say my boss is an idiot. Uh, so they had, I don't think they have had thought about the potential HR consequences, and I'm sure it would be dead right illegal in Germany uh, to do something like that, knowing the German normal legislation. But that's another thing. But as I said to Microsoft, so what what is the benefit? Yeah, but then imagine all the time you can save. I said yes. Um, so we all go for that, right? I'll get the transcript. Who will then show up at the meeting, right? Because I, I don't get any savings unless I stay away from the meeting and wait for the transcript. And if Marcel does yeah. the same thing, Alex does the same thing, and, and Ravi does the same thing, what, what is there to transcribe? Then there is no meaning. <laughs> so, so there's no savings. I mean, so, so, you know, yes, there are some of this that works, but some of the arguments that are being put forward are, are just plain stupid. Uh, and as you're also saying, imagine all the time you save by not having to write a you know a, a conclusion from the meeting never done it never had a meeting where i'm writing any conclusions i'm sorry i'm not sending anything out i go to the meeting we make decisions and i get on with my life but if the machine can make my decisions uh, fine 
but but it is, I think some of this is also assuming that people are working in a moronic fashion uh, in a company where money is abundant, so you can just sit and do stupid work. Uh, you know, at least I think in many of the high cost countries such as Denmark, we've been working with trying to uh, make our processes efficient for 40 years. So so I'm not sure a robot can come in and say, hey, I'll do that for you in five minutes. I, I think we are on a different level. And as you're saying, Ravi, I really believe this about, you know, the stuff we have left where we need to go in and intervene, I feel every day, is enormously complicated. So the examples I've seen where it's like, but the machine can answer your uh, your email for you. But I don't get repetitive questions. I, I, I get, you know, very complicated questions where I know if I answer in this shape, somebody would be pissed off. If I say this, then somebody can use it against me. So so it's it's extremely political answers I'm trying to formulate depending on who's asking the question. Uh, but I'm sure if you're sitting in first line support, you might get 500 people calling saying, how do I reset my password? And in the old days, we would explain it. Now we'll say, go to this uh, web page uh, that we've told you a million times, there is a reset button. Um, that, of course, can be automated. Uh, but but I don't think we have a lot of that in Coloblast. And that, that's what I'm looking at now, saying, with my knowledge of the business, where do I think there is a potential? Uh, but, but it's not everywhere. Uh, to be honest, and that's what I'm struggling with, with these personal productivity tools that come at a high cost. How do you prove that that, that would actually generate value? Because it also requires that you start working in a completely different way. We talked about it yesterday. One, I had a person who said, I've noted that whenever I do a Teams chat, it will suggest answers. And and even if I write exactly the same thing as the machine is is telling me, I don't press the button because then I feel I'm not personally engaged and I'm letting the machine answer for me. And I don't like that feeling. Is it logical? Maybe not. Is it correct? Yes, you are letting the machine answer for you. Uh, is that nice? Is it what you want? Is it polite? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think our kids don't care. They just want to get it done with, and and, yeah. and they are used to that. But I think there is just a men, immense mental barrier that that we need to cross. Similar to we all have grandparents and whatever. There are some that just won't buy a smartphone. It's not because they can't use it. It's not because they can't learn it. They just don't want to. And 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 things going to be interesting to see how much uptake can we get on some of these things. Uh, because I really do think that they require a complete change in how you normally work, uh, which is very, which is very, very new that things can be changed that much around with technology. Uh, so that's going to be super interesting. But I'm sure, you know, in 10 years, we'll be at another level with some of these things. But I still think that the only danger is if you really don't understand what the technology is doing for you, if it has become so sophisticated that you lose track of what's going on. And I even feel, to be honest, when we see all this personalized marketing, as you mentioned, Marcel, I mean, sometimes it doesn't guess correctly, but it is a bit scary that it's tracking you everywhere. And, you know, so I think we'll see more of this opt out. I'm afraid to, to, to engage because I, I feel I get recorded and, and things get used against me or it will utilize my weaknesses. If I have a gambling problem, one thing is certain, I'll get a million gambling uh, advertising material coming at me, uh, right? So, so you'll ne- the, 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 the internet will never forget. Imagine if you have a gambling problem, you're trying to get out of it, then stop using the internet altogether or any uh, device because it knows that you've been gambling for 10 years and and it won't send you nice ads with, you can get help here. No, 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 no. (laughs) Because those are not the ones that are paying the bill. It will send you Bet365 and all of that. (laughs) Uh, So so I think it is going to be interesting to see, you know, will there be a pushback on some of this? And I'm sure there will. And that's also why they are trying to do all this legislation, which will be very complicated to navigate for us as tech people and for for, for legal. Uh, And I can see that because I had the first meetings with legal and they were like, 
yeah, but we don't even know what's coming. But I said, you need to have an opinion because I'm not rolling this out if I don't, if you don't have my back. So it's, you don't look at me. Uh, I know the tech, you know the law. We have to work together on this. Um, and, and, and of course, they agreed on that. And they also said, what about the data ethics? Because they've never been able to really sell that. It's not a very sexy topic. And what do you hook it up against? And I said, we need to hook it up against AI because everybody wants AI. So, so this is your best shot at getting people to read our data ethics policy. Um, because data ethics is not the same as data privacy. Uh, it is more soft and it's about how we want to use data and the company and how we don't want to use it. Um, so, so I think there are some possibilities now of working together across these teams, but it is. It is a fantastic days. I, I think, you know, for a data person, you got to love it. Yes. It, 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 it. I have to say, it's the best thing that has ever happened. And we've been saying for years that data is, is a, data is an important asset. Nobody, be, I, I've never met someone in management who actually believes that. And we can see that on our funding as well. So I think this will really, this has really revolutionized the whole area. And I I think that is so positive and I think it can do a lot of good stuff. Okay, great. So any uh, final notes on that point at all? Okay, great. Um, So I suppose that's all the questions wrapped up. But uh, before we end the podcast today, I'd just like to say a massive thanks to all the guests that we've had on uh, for sharing their insights, their thoughts and their experiences so I suppose um, for one last time, they have been Anna's Reinhardt, Senior Director of Data and Integration Solutions at Colaplast, Marcel Schrode, Manager of Data and AI at EY, and Ravindra Kavde, Head of Data and Analytics at the Shipping Collective. If you are hiring for new technical roles or are looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. So I am Alex Robinson, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, alternatively, you can email me at alex.robinson at evolution-nordics.com, or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics.